And one of the things I wanted to mention is anybody who's thinking about getting into business for themselves, make sure that you have the support of your family. Because if you don't, and if they don't fully understand what they are getting into, it can make for some difficult times. just a regular gym routine. When was the last time you checked on your financial fitness? If you're feeling like you're falling behind, Ed Sedell is here to help with The Retirement Trainer, a podcast about helping you get into better financial shape. Every week, Ed talks about things you need to know to become more financially fit for your future. Learn about things like how much money will you need, financial mistakes other people often make, and how you can avoid them. Plus, details on The Retirement Fitness Plan, a plan Ed personally created to help you get to and through retirement by focusing on five key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan when you visit egsifinancial.com and click on processes. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to The Retirement Trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. It's The Retirement Trainer with Ed Sedell, a podcast about finding ways to help you become financially fit for your future, no matter what financial shape you're in now. 2020, we've been talking about it a lot. It was a challenging year for a lot of people and in particular, small business. And EGSI Financial believes in giving back to the community that has supported us for nearly 20 years. Giving Back to Small Business is the name of the campaign, and as part of it, we're highlighting two businesses every month on our podcast, Ed Sedell, the Retirement Trainer, which is on iHeart, Spotify, Apple Play, everywhere you listen to your podcasts, to learn about these small businesses and what kept them going and succeeding in COVID-19. Our goal is to promote and learn lessons of these small businesses so other business owners can draw upon their experiences and lessons and to enhance their own situation. Today, we have Chris Amatos joining us on our podcast. He is the owner and operator of Hand and Stone Massage and Facial Spa, located in Lewis Center, Columbus, Ohio. This is Leanne Sedell, and here to help us with all our questions and to give us some guidance to help us stay in the best financial shape possible, the retirement trainer, Ed Sedell. Hi, Ed. Hi, Chris. Hey, Leanne. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us. I, you know, it's uh, y- you have such a unique story. Uh, you know, your your journey, uh, you know, in the business world, uh, from being an executive to to uh, you know a business owner, and then having to go through what you went through last year. You know, I, I think a lot of people can learn an awful lot from you know not not just the uh, uh, trials that you went through, but the successes. How you kind of turned that thorn into a rose, you know, I mean, and really, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it, it's a, it's a remarkable story. So do you mind kind of sharing your, your background and how you got into, you know, being the owner operator of, of this franchise and, and, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. My basic background actually is as a, a business reporter. I was a, a journalism graduate at Ohio state and was in the newspaper business for gosh, about 18 years or so. And for most of that time, I was uh, a business reporter. I was the assistant business editor at Dispatch for for several years until I left, which was in 1994. 
And then after that, I uh, got into the world of corporate communications. I uh, did that for about 17 years at American Electric Power Company. Unfortunately, I was downsized uh, in, um, I guess it was 2013 now. And so when uh, when that occurred, I, you know, I had you know several years experience doing both corporate communications and in the world of journalism. And the economy in 2013 wasn't so good that a person my age uh, <laughs> was able to get a job pretty easily. Unfortunately, I I tried for about six months and uh, didn't end up with much. And so I thought, well, guys, you know, I've got a lot of experience writing about business. And I thought, you know, maybe it's time to actually give it a try myself. One of the great things about being a newspaper reporter is you get to talk to so many different people oh, yeah. from across the spectrum, uh, particularly when you're a business reporter and, you know, you have access to a lot of people in the community. And Columbus is such a strong franchising town that that's one of the things I wrote about a lot when I was, you know, back at the dispatch was writing about franchises and how they were growing and, you know, just how are they doing in general and, and the challenges they faced. So I thought when I decided maybe I should look at getting into business myself, I thought, well, gee, you know, a franchise makes a lot of sense because there are just so many reasons why a franchise is a good way to start in business if you have never done it before yourself. And so I, uh, you know, I, I took uh, a lot of the knowledge that I had from being a business reporter and started looking at different concepts and uh, worked with a couple of different franchise brokers, which is kind of an interesting field unto itself. One of the things you realize when you start looking at franchises and franchising in general is that there are franchises that sell franchises. That's that's how that's how far so it's this layered. industry it's has like developed. It's like a layered cake. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. That's how far this you know that that whole concept has developed is that, that you can buy a franchise to sell franchises. And I thought that was a pretty interesting, you know, thing unto itself. So I worked with a couple of franchise brokers, and I learned a lot just in that process. And the good ones will take the time to, you know, find out what your interests are, what your strengths are as an individual and, and perhaps a, as a business person, and then try to find franchises that, you know, match your personality, which I think really is important if you're going to go down that road. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it just uh, that I thought that was very reassuring when I when I talked to one of the brokers who took the time to explain that process to me and explain how he works. So he came up with about five different concepts for me to look at, and three of them were were kind of marginal. Uh, two of them were pretty strong, and one of those was hand in stone, which is of course what I ultimately went with. And, you know, when I started looking at franchises myself, I kind of set up some criteria that I thought were, were critical to being successful. Among them were, first of all, it had to be a business that could not be replaced by the Internet. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. Smart. And, uh, and, in 2013, you know, that was, that was important. Of course, you know, now in 2021, it's even more so. If you're getting into some kind of a retail venture, for example, you need to make sure that that's not a product that can be, you know, that people can purchase elsewhere by, you know, going to Amazon or wherever and, and shopping from home. 
And so I didn't really want to get into a retail kind of business. Even though I had written extensively about the fast food industry for years because, you know, again, Columbus is such a, a, a strong fast food town, I didn't really want to get into that either because uh, that industry has uh, its own challenges. Among them uh, are can be widely fluctuating commodity prices. You know, it's very competitive. There are just a whole lot of reasons, and it can, be, it can require a lot of capital. Yep. Yeah, small margins. It can require a lot of capital up front. Uh, so I, I, that was something I kind of wanted to stay away from. And interestingly enough, a lot of the franchise brokers uh, will tell you right up front they don't do fast food. That you know that's because of those reasons and probably some others. I think there can be also a high failure rate in that industry. You know that's just not something that they do. So you know everybody I, that I worked with uh, was steering away from that industry to begin with, which which suited me fine. So again, they came up with a couple of different concepts, and I liked Hand in Stone for several reasons. One of which was it met my primary criteria that it's not a service that could be replaced by the internet. Two, it was a brand new concept in the market at the time. There were there were no Hand in Stones in the state of Ohio. Oh, were you the first one? I was the first Hand in Stone in Ohio, and there are now about fifteen or so. Wow! So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, including just, you, including. You, you, even yeah. right here in Columbus. I mean, there's a ton now. Yeah, there are five in Columbus now. Uh, two just opened in November. So, you know, I was kind of breaking uh, ground, which I thought would be a good opportunity. The other thing that I was looking at was uh, that this was an established company, but it was still had a lot of growth potential. There were about 113 hand and stones open at the time that I signed to my franchise agreement. So clearly an established company but not so big that there wasn't a lot of potential to grow. You know, again, bringing that concept to Ohio, I thought was interesting. Also, um, the massage industry itself is one that was, you know, growing rapidly at the time and, and I think probably is growing even faster today. It's a service that, you know, most people want to enjoy. A lot of people had probably never had a massage at that point, and probably many people perceived it to be something that was, you know, maybe not really within their reach. And one of the things that Hand and Stone was doing was making massage and facial and skincare services an affordable luxury. It was, you know, it was making the service that had been perceived as being something that, you know, would cost more money than most people wanted to spend on a regular basis and making it very affordable. It's like, $60 a month, when that's still the price, you know, a price that many people can afford, and you can get the service on a regular basis, and, you know, it's something that helps people relax, and, and I think more people are paying attention to their personal care, you know, their 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 health, and this is something that can reduce tension, make you feel better about yourself. You know, if you're getting skincare services, it's going to help your appearance. It's just the whole, a whole host of reasons why this appealed to me. And interestingly enough, I'd never had a full body massage at that point, but it was something <laughs> I always knew I wanted to have. And I went out and got one, and I thought, wow, yeah, there's no doubt this is something I'm going to really enjoy. So, oh, that's uh, awesome. you know, I thought, you know, that kind of sealed the deal for me. So, you know, Hand in Stone, I thought, was kind of an obvious choice. And there are certainly other franchises uh, in the industry, but this was the one that, uh, in my mind, set itself apart because 
they really strive to provide a higher level of service than some of the other companies. They have a very extensive, probably the most extensive menu of both facial, skin care, and massage services uh, out there. And I can back that up with numbers now because I can tell you that Hand in Stone's goal is to make skin care services 40% of, of revenues. Most of our competitors, that's probably 10%. Wow. Um, so that's so a whole new They even offer skin care at all. Exactly. So, you know, you're, you're able to draw a, to, an, an appeal to a much broader range of the market. And, you know, that's a win-win because that means that your massage therapists are going to have a whole other group of, of prospective clients that they can reach out to. And conversely, the, you know, the facial clients might want to come in and get a massage on a periodic basis. So, you know, it just broadens our, our, our opportunity to attract uh, clients into the company. So, you know, for all these reasons, I really thought Hand and Stone is a good fit. When you have that, that kind of a cross, you know, uh, section, you know, between the, the massage and the skincare, I mean, you you get the ability to, to grow both sides at the same time. And again, it's a whole new market segment on top of it because you're lowering the prices. So now, it, like you said, it's it's an affordable luxury. Oh, exactly right. And, you know, again, it's just it, 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 it's a concept that has proven itself to work very well. And when you look at the numbers, you know, uh, at, the, at the time when I got my uh, franchise disclosure document, which is something that uh, every franchisor has to provide to prospective franchisees, you know, the numbers I thought, you know, basically told the tale that this is the concept that works. So it was, you know, it was an easy decision for me at that point. It was something that my wife and I discussed at length. And one of the things I wanted to mention is, Anybody who's thinking about getting into business for themselves, make sure that you have the support of your family. Absolutely. Because if you don't, and if they don't fully understand what they are getting into, it can make for some difficult times. Sandy and I discussed this. I remember we were having dinner one night out at Easton, and um, it was a beautiful summer night, and we were talking about you know various opportunities that I could pursue. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I really like Hand in Stone best. And, you know, we were, at that point, we was even the possibility that maybe I could get a job somewhere. And she said, well, then if that's the case, that's what you should do. And, you know, that really meant the world to me. The fact that, you know, she was willing to back uh, what was, you know, still a, a kind of a risky proposition because even though, I've got an MBA and I've got, you know, a lot of experience writing about these things. I've never done it myself. And so, you know, there was always, there's a, of course, risk involved in when you start up any kind of a business. But she was willing to support me and, and that meant a lot. And um, I don't think it fully, frankly, I don't think she fully understood what it was going to mean for her because for a while she had to work two jobs <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, to, yeah. to, to kind of keep us going. And I don't think that's something that she kind of anticipated at the time, but, you know, she did it willingly and did that for a while uh, when we were getting started. And, and, you know, that was, that showed the level of commitment that, that she made to this business. Well, that's as teamwork. Well. I mean, you, I was that's just a partnership say, right there. But I mean, in, in large simple. part, I, I also, it, it's funny because I can still remember when Ed's told me he was going into business. He had worked for this organization for a very, very long time and was going into business for his, himself. We were starting a brand new family. But again, 
It's the confidence that you have in your spouse. And I think that's the way it is with Sandy. She has absolute confidence in, in your drive and your determination, Chris, because that is that has come through every time when you guys are together. It's very easy to see how you guys work off of each other. And, oh, and, absolutely. And, 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 you know, and like you said, you brought up the fact that you had some struggles, um, you know, business, trying to get things going, like any small business, right? And as a reporter, you know the stats better than I do. So how many small businesses, you know, don't make it after the, the first couple of years? It's a really high percentage, isn't it? It is a very high percentage. In fact, I was looking at some numbers earlier today, uh, just in preparation for the call, and I was looking at... Um, you know, one of the reasons, one of the advantages of doing a franchise versus starting out on your own, and uh, the failure rate for people who do a, do a franchise is much much lower than people who start a business on their own. Is that um, because of the and processes? I think it's something like exactly the processes. I mean, you know, one of the things when you think about it, when you know, when you're buying a franchise, what are you buying? Well, ideally, you are buying a concept that has already been proven to work. And, you know, there are a zillion questions you need to ask. If you, this is something you're thinking about doing, you need to ask of any franchisor about their system. And you need to ask the existing franchisees as well, you know, to see that, again, to see if it's a good fit for you. And a lot of these, a lot of information is spelled out, again, in the, in the FDD, the, the um, um, franchise disclosure document that is required by the FTC to be given to a prospective franchisee. So that's an important document to get. But it's going to answer, there's only so much that that document's going to tell you. Among the things that it is not going to tell you, is how much money you're going to make. <laughs> they, a, a, a franchisor can give you some, some like revenue uh, right. ranges that you can expect that are, that have, that existing franchisees have experienced, but they're not going to tell you how much money you're going to make. Uh, it's not that they're, I don't think that they, I'm not an attorney by any means. I don't think that they are prohibited from telling you, but if they do put that in there, then they're liable for it. And, oh, you know, they're not, none of them are going to be, none of them are going to be so foolish as to make that kind of a guarantee. So they'll give you some uh, revenue ranges, but they're not going to tell you how much income you're going to have. Now, once you sign up and, you know, have paid your franchise fee, then they're going to give you some better guidance about what you can expect. But you're going to basically need to do a lot of that kind of research on your own. And the way to do that is to talk to the existing franchisees. So when you get that FDD, it's going to include the names and, and, and contact information of the existing franchisees. And anybody, again, who's looking to buy a franchise, they really need to do their due diligence and ask a lot of questions. And I wrote some of these down. I thought this might be helpful yeah, to anybody is, who's thinking definitely. about this. So how many did you reach out and contact? Gosh, that's a good question because it was almost eight, eight, nine years ago now. I probably talked to at least 10 and, you know, there were some others I probably tried to reach out to but wasn't able to get a hold of for one reason or another. And in retrospect, I would reach out to many more now and I would make it a point to reach out to a wider variety, both geographically and maybe in terms of years of experience uh, in the business. And, um, you know, all that information is largely available in, the, in, the, in that FDD. 
just they know how to know how to read it. But um, you know, they will tell you basically when that franchise he opened his his business, and so that will give you an idea, you know, of who you can talk to who's been in it for a while versus somebody who just opened up maybe a year ago. And then, of course, geographically, that's easy to determine by by the addresses. But yeah, I mean, talking to a, a broad range is is critical. And typically, at least in my experience, when you talk to a, a, a franchise or they're going to give you the names and or, of addresses of, you know, franchisees that they want, you, they want you to talk to, which is fine. You can talk to those folks, mm-hmm. but you need to make sure that you talk to some others as well. So what were um, some of the questions that you asked? So among the questions you want to ask, uh, some of these are pretty basic, but, um, and a lot of this is going to be spelled out. Uh, but, you know, again, you need to make sure you understand it. Are you going to have an exclusive territory, for example? And if so, uh, what is it? Is it? How is it measured? Is it going to be measured in population? You know, so many units per 100,000 or whatever it happens to be uh, uh, a population. Or is it measured in miles? Or is it measured in drive time? But the questions you really want to ask are the things that are not in that FDD. For example, how good is the franchisor about communicating with its franchisees? What are the quality of the communications? Do they do it on a regular basis? Do they return phone calls? You know, if you've got a problem, are you going to be able to expect an, an are you going to be able to get an answer that day, or are you going to get an answer in two or three days? You know, how good is the company's technical support? Uh, do they have their own IT department, for example? Because you know, pretty much, you know, everybody has to have some sort of IT support these days. How good is the company's marketing support, or do they even provide marketing support? That's a critical question today. Are they going to manage, for example, your um, search engine optimization functions, or is that something that you're going to have to do yourself? What about internet presence? You know, are they going to manage your Facebook page? Are they going to do the Instagram posts? Are they going to do the market research for you to help you determine what the prospective market is for an area you might be thinking about? You know, I would ask the franchisees, and this is something I, I didn't do at the time, but I would certainly, again, I learned this from experience, and this is not to say that my company doesn't do this, but I would ask, you know, does the franchise or do what they say they're going to do? I mean, you know, they say they're going to give you all the support in your experience as a franchisee. Did they do what they said they were going to do? That's the kind of stuff you're never going to find written down in a, in a franchise disclosure document. Yeah, and that's really important. Well, so let me ask you this, Chris. So, what did what did you learn from last year? Because I, I know uh, it, it was it was tough for everybody, and you know, you really started kind of the 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 ball really turned for you right before last year. So, you know, what did you learn from last year? I mean, how did your marketing change? Those kind of things. So that's a great question because, you know, we have – so first of all, Hand in Stone is a membership-based business, which is, you know, different from many other franchises. And that was a real advantage to us during the whole uh, uh, COVID situation. And I'm very proud. I think this says a lot about our brand, and I think it says a lot about our business as well. We were closed for two months during COVID. We closed March uh, 16th, and we opened to May 17th of 2020. During that two months, because we are a membership-based business, most of our members continued to pay their monthly fee. Wow. And there's, there's a reason they did that, and that is because 
as a membership-based business, what our clients are buying is not time like you would be paying for if you're joining a gym or something like that. You are paying for a service. And if you do not use your service one month, it rolls over to the next. Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, that's huge. So our clients knew that when we reopened, they would have those services to use. And your services at Hand and Stone never expire as long as you're a member. So if you don't go for four months, for whatever reason, when you come back, you've got four services to use. And you know, are busy so as all get, get out. <laughs> once, once so we, when, when we, <laughs> absolutely. When we reopened on uh, May 17th, we were doing gangbusters. I mean, you know, we really did. Our membership sales accelerated. You know, we were almost fully booked all the time because people wanted to get and use those services. A lot of stressed but, out people. You know, again, <laughs> a lot of stressed out people. That's exactly right. I mean, what did COVID do? It added a lot of stress and tension into everybody's life. Yeah. And so there oh, were yeah. people who wanted to come in and take advantage of those services and learn to relax. And I think, you know, to an even greater degree, people who hadn't given this kind of a service much of a consideration before, started to think, yeah, this is something I could really use right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, not only did our existing customers come into the business to use our services, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we picked up a lot of new clients as well. Oh, I, because a lot of people were like, you know, it, it's time we're, you know, after what we just went through, myself. yeah, let, let's go ahead and, and treat ourselves. You know, it's let's enjoy right. life That's a exactly little bit. exactly it. Yep. You know, and it's and it's it's an inexpensive treat. I mean, it's, again, our membership is sixty dollars a month. That entitles you to one massage or one facial a month, your choice. So, you know, it's, it's an no-brainer. affordable luxury. No brainer. And, and yeah, and, and so you know, again, people came in, and we frankly haven't really slowed down since we reopened last May. I mean, we are. We were in a unique situation. Not many businesses benefited from COVID, but we kind of did, frankly. I mean, I so think even it, though it you were helped. shut down for for two months because of the membership, I mean, you really didn't lose any revenue. Uh, I mean, you we didn't we, lose. You we lost. Up. We lost some. Yeah, we lost some. But I mean, we we had certainly had enough revenue that we could, you know, we could pay our rent, uh, we could pay our utilities. You know, we had no difficulty meeting the obligations we needed to meet. And, you know, I mean, again, it was, I don't know, a blessing in disguise, kind of, because I, I, I almost feel bad about it. Because if I had been in the restaurant business, yeah. you know, we yeah. would have been, we would have been hurt really badly. Or, or a lot of other businesses were hurt really badly because I was just, you know, fortunate enough to pick the right franchise model, you know, back in, uh, back in, um, you know, 2013, of course, never, ever, ever expecting anything like this to happen. You know, it, it worked out for the best. So, yeah, we were one of the ones that benefited from COVID. Well, I mean, as we're going through this and we're we're talking to, to businesses just like yours, it's it's the same kind of theme. You know, it's the people that they're working with. It's doing the, you know, the little things. I mean, you're, you're talking about lucky, but you were lucky because you did the research ahead of time. You had you were following that process and you had that business plan already in place, which was the franchise. Right. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. And and the biggest component of that is based off this being a membership, it's a relationship. You you don't just have a, a one and done. You've got long term relationships that you've built with your current clients going into COVID and and now the new clients that came on board afterwards. So they keep coming back because of you and your team. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, we, you know, we certainly couldn't take them for granted during this period. We did communicate with them. Um, you know, we explained to them that look, if you, you know, we're all going through a difficult time. If you keep your membership current with us, we will reward you with a free service when we reopen. We gave everybody who stayed with us a a gift card for a free massage or a free facial. So. You know, there was certainly uh, some cost involved in that, but it was well worth it. We were happy to do it because, you know, our members mean everything to us, and we want to make sure that we don't take them for granted and that they know how much we appreciate them. So, Well, I think all of us were in a position where we wanted to – it broke everybody's heart to see businesses close down that we had uh, that we had gone to on, a, on an every regular week basis, or yeah. on a regular basis. So sure. supporting small business, I'm sure that was not hard for your, for your members to see that and, and want to support you. But, Chris, I, I want to make sure that whoever wants to get a hold of you or – can you give us some contact information? How can people reach out to you? What's the best way? Sure. Uh, so our business is, uh, we are adjacent to the Polaris Mall. Uh, the business address is 1190 Polaris Parkway. Uh, we are in the same shopping center as the Big Sandy Superstore and PetSmart. So we're in one of the strip centers that is that is just outside of the mall. And anybody, I'll be happy to talk to anybody, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what experiences I've gone through, uh, what to think about in terms of a franchise, uh, if you want, if you want to go down that direction. Uh, anybody can give me a, um, give me a call. My phone number is 614-929-4278. I'm happy to take calls. And if they, if they want to reach out to me via email, it's simply C. Amatos, A-M-A-T-O-S, at handandstone.com. And hand and stone is all spelled out one word. Uh, so I'm absolutely happy to talk to anybody, you know, if they have any, any questions or would like um, more information about the business or whatever it happens to be. That's awesome. And what's your website, Chris? Our website is, um, so the corporate website uh, that lists all of our locations and, and certainly includes us is handandstone.com. But we also have our own uh, site, handinstonecolumbus.com. Perfect. That's what I was just getting. We'll have the links set up on our podcast page, The Retirement Trainer. But I'm going to, if you know of any small businesses in the Columbus area and want to learn, and, and you give us the opportunity to learn a little bit more about what you overcame during this last very difficult year of 2020. We're looking to support and grow and learn more about these small businesses who made it through 2020. So if you have a small business success story, please give us a call at 614-526-4118 or email us at info at egsi.com. Find out more about us on our website, which is www.egsifinancial.com. Thanks so much, Chris, for this time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. Yep. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. you tested your fitness level, not your workout routine. I'm talking about your financial endurance, because if saving to a 401k is the extent of your effort, it is time for you to start shaping up. And Ed Sedell is here to help you do that with the retirement trainer. It's his podcast to help you examine your financial stamina and learn the questions you should be asking and areas to focus on to help you get to that place you've been working so hard for a happy, comfortable retirement. And it's not as hard as some might have made you believe. Ed's broken it down into five 
simple steps. It's the retirement fitness plan, which he personally created to help clarify key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan at egsifinancial.com. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to the retirement trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Investment advisory services offered through EGSI Investment Management, DBA EGSI Financial Group, a registered investment advisor. Insurance and annuities offered through EGSI Financial Services, Inc., Ohio license number 1020619. Thank you.